You guys, it's time for more. More stories, more possibility, more growth. I have practiced vulnerability my whole life, which I know sounds crazy, but soon you'll understand it's really true. Vulnerability is a popular word these days, but I made a commitment to myself as a young girl that I would show up as myself so that those around me would feel safe to do the same. This mindset has led to deep and fulfilling friendships. And what I started to notice is what's really easy for me is actually super hard for some people. So I want to help you to gain the confidence to step out and step up and be unapologetically yourself. When we're in proximity with people, we hear their real stories and we see them through different eyes and we can't not be changed. So here's what you need to know. This podcast is about more. More possibility comes from hearing people's stories and my hope is that when you see others get real, it will give you the permission to show up as who you were created to be. This podcast is centered around friendship and better understanding and I promise you will learn, obviously laugh, and grow if you click subscribe. But first, you've got to be ready for more. Hey friends, welcome back to the More Jody podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. What you have to know about this story is that we are all better when we hear, and I mean really listen to someone's human experience. There are many people living around us with childhood traumas and shame from their youth, um, maybe even shame that they're situations that are happening right now. Um, but when we hear these stories, we are changed. Our brain grows. Our eyes see what could be happening around us to other women we love and in the lives of our kids. Um, the reality is that when we understand what other people have been through and or are currently living with because of this you know, trauma from years back, we love better, we understand on a deeper level, and we can possibly help our kids navigate this crazy world. The lie would be that there are less sexually deviant people, that there would be um, less people these days, you know, grooming people, but this world is broken and we need to be here to listen to these hard stories, step up and stand with these women who have gone through these experiences. So I pray that you tune in for this entire episode today with Christine because you will learn a lot and you know, you'll come away feeling like you can see some of this in your own life with open eyes. Thanks for tuning in. Please share this podcast with a friend that might need it and like and subscribe. Christine, thank you for coming on the podcast today. My I'm really, pleasure. I'm really thank. I'm thankful. So normally I'm like, hey you, hey girl, hey. But today <laughs> I was like, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you were willing um, to have this conversation. And just to give a little backstory, um, I found out from you, I think you sent me a message years ago um, that you were raped. And when you had told me that, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit about it. And so when I started thinking about how noticing the silence and secrecy that a lot of people are living with, you came to mind and you had put your story out into the world. And so when I decided that I would have some conversations with some women about it, you were the person that I thought, I bet she'd help me um, help me with some questions because I just wanted questions that didn't create more abuse that mm -hmm. didn't, you know, hurt people when my desire is to just promote healing and awareness and 
to open up our eyes and to give women a space, you know, to have a safe conversation. And so thank you for being willing to help me that way. And then I was like, okay, so will you answer your own questions for me? <laughs> that was tricky. Was that was a tricky, tricky one. It was very un- was unintentional. Like, oh my gosh, I have to answer my own question. I know. It was very uh, unintentional that I, yeah. the way I, in my heart, but then I thought, yeah. you know what, like, I just know you have a story and you've shared it before. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not nervous. I'm just like cautiously, I'm just cautious because I just, I want this to be a place where um, women can gain awareness and understanding and love and step out of shame a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your story and kind of, I guess, sure. why we're talking today? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll preface this with, I'm a writer. I'm not a talker. So one of my big channels when I was going through um, the cycles of shame I felt was in being able to write about it. And that's not to say I was like a wallflower who didn't have a big voice because I do. I am definitely loud. (laughs) No, I'm loud. (laughs) But there's a side I could not share. And when I tried to share, it would just get stuck in my throat. And with shame, comes this feeling of unworthiness now when I decided to share it it was oh my probably two decades after it happened to me and I could share it with um, very close friends over the years but I also understood the people I couldn't share like I shouldn't have shared it with did more damage because I trusted someone with something so vulnerable that didn't earn the trust. So I also learned what was safe and who was safe to share it with. So just a little background. Um, I come from a family of six girls, lived in a very small town and on a farm. So double isolation. Yeah. (laughs) We're a conservative Christian home. And um, my dad was a farmer. He still is a farmer. And my mom owned a business. Um, she started that business when I was like in, in grade school. So we didn't have a lot of outlet for like sports or anything. Right. We went to church, Sunday school, church, Sunday, and then evening church. Was and then like during in the a, week. In Alberta? Were you in Alberta? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then as far as extracurricular things was church. So <laughs> we had youth group <laughs> and I was part of like this pioneer group. Pioneer girls. Pioneer clubs. That's yeah. I, yeah. I don't. I can't even relate how, like, we were pioneers for Jesus. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so, uh, it wasn't. So I didn't have an outlet like that was like sports or anything. We just, right. you know, we worked on the farm, and then we worked in the store when it was legal to do so. Right. Um, so, in the summer times, we would go um, to camp to Bible camp. And I had gone every year and I loved camp and my dad was on the board uh, for this particular camp to get built. And it was a, like a very special sacred place. And I had some very close friends that went with me to that camp and uh, a cousin as well. So it was my last year that I decided I was going to go to camp because I was going to grade 10 and I was very grown up. So, so you're like 15, 14 or 15, 15. Yeah. I just turned 15 and to say I was naive is a gross understatement. I was naive, very naive. Um, and when I, I didn't know a lot about sexuality or, um, or sex in, at all, really, other than you save it for your husband. It's sacred, it's beautiful, you know. Right. 
I was just so naive in that regard. So I went to Bible camp and uh, I was struggling with some, you know, things inwardly with, you know, growing up as, as any 14, 15 year old does. Um, and there was these two, uh, I was to say boys, but they weren't boys. They were men, they were of legal age and they drove into the camp and they weren't part of the camp. And the um, director knew who these boys were because um, it was a small community really. Right. And he asked them to leave. And so me and a girl I had met at camp made a decision for whatever reason that we were gonna leave the Bible camp beach and we were gonna take a walk down to the public beach just to see. And I think obviously in my mind, um, I wanted to see who these guys were. Well, you're um, a teenage girl. Come yeah, on, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So we walked down the beach and it was more than just the two of us. I think two of my other friends had come with us as well. I just can't remember which ones. Um, and they were on the beach and they were playing music in the truck and they had um, drinks and they welcomed us to come sit down and their music was blaring. And I had not drank before that I can remember. I believe that was the first time I ever had a drink and it was a Wildberry cooler and it took about two or three and I was loaded. Yeah. Um, and then, so, I don't know, the time kind of stops there because totally. the next thing I knew, the camp director was in front of me saying, you guys need to come back to camp. And I don't, to this day, it doesn't really make sense to me, but because he knew who these guys were, and I don't know if he didn't understand that we had been drinking, but he said that the two guys could drive me and, and the other girl back to the camp gates in their vehicle. And they took oh, the right. other friends. I know it's like, I, it doesn't make sense at, at this point, but wow. for whatever reason he allowed, um, if he had trust in them, I'm not sure. Cause he did know who they were. So we got in their vehicle and it was a very short drive, like from that gate to the camp gate. But in between those two gates, there was a gravel pit and he's, and so the driver um, said, let's go in have a fire before we take you back. So we parked in this gravel pit and he asked me to go for firewood with him. And so as soon as we got away from the other two people, he kissed me and I kissed him back. So I had that layer of shame with it because. Well, as a 14 year old girl, like stop yeah. for a second, I'd be like, yeah. dreams are coming true. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> yeah. you're so idealistic at that age yeah. about love and romance mm. and like for a guy to kiss you at a fire pit it's just like off a movie right yeah. like you're like yeah okay, totally for sure and it was still innocent and yeah. you know, I don't I didn't know about all the other stuff so um so it was it went very fast from there and I know I said no over and over and repeat at the same token I my mind couldn't understand what was happening right like it was just so confusing <laughs> you know I, I just had no I had nothing to compare it to. I didn't know, um, time just stood still. And I just said, I just said no on repeat. And I remember the sky, I remember the stars. I remember the sounds. I remember the smells. I remember the texture just of the rocks on my back. Like I remember everything in such minute details. That part I can remember, but it's almost like your brain shuts down in a way. And you think you remember the weirdest things. Um, so when, when it was all over, he just stood up and walked away and 
still couldn't really comprehend if that if that was sex like I, I was like is that was that sex because what I had been made uh shared to believe was that it was supposed to be beautiful and and you know sacred so I got up and he'd already been in the truck and the truck was warming up and he said uh, get in and he drove us just down the road to the camp gates now there's a driveway that goes up to the top where the um where the main chalet is and he wouldn't drive up there and he just said get out and then he kind of made a joke about if we wanted his number and he just slammed the door and drove off so i was still quite drunk and i walked up the hill and everyone was there because they had realized oh my gosh they've been gone for a really long time and i just broke down i i the nurse was there and i said i i think I was raped. I don't even know. And so at the series of events that as an adult, I look at and I, I don't quite understand how or why they handled it the way they did, but um, they isolated me in a room and um, they said, you can go get your pajamas, but you're not going to be able to see your friends at the, at the camp cabins. So I went and got my stuff and I remember seeing my cousin and, and I was hysterical and I told her what had happened. And um, I said, they won't let me stay here with you. They want me to be checked out, I guess. I wasn't sure what the next step was, but there wasn't really a next step. I just was left in a room by myself. And the next morning I woke up and by the time I came up to the hall, they were all having breakfast already. And when I walked into that hall, it was, you could hear a pin drop, like everyone just stopped and stared at me. And I walked to the table and sat down and um, the director said, I don't know if there's ever gonna be a camp again because of some of the actions of some of the people at the camp that was here. So I just, that was like my first real, like I just felt shame from the time it happened straight through. Like it was, I can't even explain the, the layers of shame that washed over me. Because first I had left the safety of a camp and then look what happened to me. This is what my mind is thinking. Then I allowed someone to kiss me. It was just so many layers. But at the time I still, I, you know, I know I said, I think I was raped, but I still couldn't really wrap my head around my, my responsibility in it. Because I felt you have responsibility in this. You know, well, so then to feel I, like you'd like in some way, because what the director could have been referring to is like maybe the drinking that like, exactly. Flat, right. But yeah. in your mind, you're like, I'm bad. Yeah. I did a bad thing. And I have brought so much shame, like the, mm -hmm. the weight of that to put on you right. in that moment. Right. Like that you might be the reason no one ever has camp again. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> I wrecked gosh. camp. <laughs> you wrecked camp yeah. forever. I wrecked camp. Yeah. And, and if we have, could have had a more of a dialogue or um, like my parents weren't called yet. And I, and I had begged them, please don't call my parents. Please don't tell my parents. Cause I want to be the one that talks to my parents. So there was an element of that where they respected the fact that they, they wanted me to be able to um, talk to my parents in person. But I, by the time I got home and by the time I had the courage to tell them, it had been almost, well, over 24 hours. So by no the time I did tell them. No one took you to a doctor? No, no. Yeah, no.
And like, I think what's also crazy, because I went to camp as a kid too, and loved it and all that stuff. But like, that would have been like, what, 1998 or something? What year would that Yeah, be? like, well, no. Oh my gosh. What year is that? Well, it wouldn't have been 98. It was much... I had a baby in 96, so. <laughs> oh, I don't think we're like the same age. No, we're not the same age, girl, no. <laughs> but like late 80s or something? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's where I'm yeah. like, didn't we know better then? But I guess you could look at anything happening right now and it's like. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, hindsight, right? So when I did talk to my parents about it, though, they were, they were very quick action they took me straight to the hospital and of course um there's little they could do except for to confirm that I definitely had sexual intercourse and it was definitely um violent in nature so that's about all they could say about that yeah and in the so it was hard yeah no kidding and 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 so isolating Mm -hmm. you know that was the big if you could say one word for it it's isolating complete isolation. Well, and like I said to you, I've been um, reading Lucky by Alice Siebel, the girl who wrote The Lovely Bones. And I really recommend people read this memoir. It's, it was, I just want to write her letters and be like, thank you for having the courage to share what you did. Because I feel like the way she captures feeling so other than, and she said, Mm -hmm. rape is not forceful intercourse. Rape is something that forces its way into your life and destroys every area of your life. It does. Right. Yeah. And it's insidious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing, the thing I think about, cause everyone talks about that, those moments where their brain disconnects, right. Mm-hmm. Like that you, you literally can't handle the trauma. Cause that would be yeah. very painful, very painful as well. Right. And the way your brain totally disconnects, I literally feel like is a gift. Yeah. In that way, right. It's the, it's the only yeah. thing that can keep you um, because you're, you're not meant to deal with that level of force and pain. And um, yeah. but yeah, but so in that, let's talk a little bit about the silence of shame and secrets and um, oh yeah. Yeah. Like what can you tell us about even those next years and days and mm-hmm. weeks? Well, the result of the shame and the feeling of unworthiness that was associated with the shame because shame can only live in secrecy. Right. It's the only way it can flourish inside of you. And the big, the root of the word shame is to cover, to stay covered. And so I, I was very living out loud in many other ways. And, and those family members that were close to me, they did know my story but that's not to say I was open to talk about it. And I really wasn't. Uh, I, I did try to go to counseling a little bit, but by the time I got to grade 12, I was just, I could wear a cloak of shame daily. And I missed uh, 54% of grade 12. And I became suicidal. It was, it was just a very dark time. I don't know how I graduated, but I graduated. So that was good. Um, but from that time on, that was the catalyst for, for the resulting years after. I, as you know, I, you, I met you actually because of health and fitness Yeah. Uh, many years ago, but um, I gained a hundred pounds. <laughs> I gained a hundred pounds. And 
some people drink their shame. Right. Some people gamble their shame. There's different, there's different ways you try to escape it. I use food yeah. in a very unhealthy way. And I never did it outwardly. I never was like an overeater in front of any, anyone at all. Um, it was very private. So the ways that I struggled with it was all isolation right. and, and privacy. Yeah, I just, I mean, obviously you could see, you can see someone gain 100 pounds and say, well, what, what's going on there, right? Because it's an outward representation of what I was trying to cope with. Um, but when I finally decided to tackle that part, it wasn't about the weight. It was about the weight because my doctor said, you are, you have high blood pressure, you're very close to being type 2 diabetic. Like there was a host of health conditions that I was dealing with. And by that time I had two children and I didn't want to do anything physical. Like I couldn't run down a field. I couldn't, I didn't want to go swimming. I just checked out of that part of being a mother. And so I knew I had to deal with this. And so at the time I, I was able to, I had the I had the good grace because um, their father worked away and, and he made a very nice living for me to be able to quit my job and to stay home with my kids. So I had two kids then, and I literally, again, isolated for a very different reason, but I worked on everything, body, mind, spirit, my relationship with my faith. That was really hard to um, grapple with and to understand and to, to dissect. Um, I just had to peel that all away and to actually sit in the pain and not numb it anymore. Right. Were you aware, like, I guess this is a span of years, but were mm -hmm. you, cause I, I think part of my fear for women and my hopes in people hearing that these conversations is that people will be like, wait a second, that's how I'm hiding right now. Right. Or um, that's what I'm using as a coping mechanism or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, were you aware that this stemmed from that unworthiness and that being ripped from your life? Or were you just like, I'm obviously super messed up. Like, did you have thoughts? No, I had no idea how it related at all. And I remember at that time, like Oprah was really big about talking about her weight loss and she kept screaming at the TV. It's not about the food. It's not about the food. And I was like, yes, bitch, it is about the food. I like food. <laughs> I food. Like, yeah. I don't know what, to, well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm fat because I like food, yeah. but I didn't relate it to my feelings of unworthiness. But I did know that one thing I lacked uh, was setting boundaries. I had a hard time setting boundaries with people and boundaries is actually a sign of self-love. I was going right? to say, did you love yourself? Yeah. No, oh, no, 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 no. I did not love myself. Um, I could, I could see parts of myself that were lovable like I wasn't like oh I can't believe anyone loves me I didn't feel that way I just didn't feel worthy I didn't feel um I felt with that violation because I had such a high standard the, the other part of it is perfectionism actually goes hand in hand as well right and as women well I'm not going to speak for men because I'm a woman but for women we have a lot of expectations we place on ourselves and on other women, yeah. be confident, but not too confident. <laughs> be driven, but you better be a good mom, right? Yeah, yeah. All of these different uh, ideals we place on women are just impossible yeah. to maintain. 
So there's shame with that. You got shame for being a mom. You got shame if you were, you got shame if you're like, <laughs> let's just it's have a shame party. So bad. And it likes it's that so bad it, that you said women on women shaming because oh, you're it's so right. Terrible. Because men terrible. are like, I don't care what you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And women, you can have this, you know, and that's why it's you need to find someone that's safe to share with. And right. you'll find your tribe if you understand your instinct. But the problem is, as I turned off that inner knowing, like my, I didn't even trust my own instincts, right? right? So I didn't know who was safe to trust. I didn't know who was safe to share with. And I went through a lot of, and I myself wasn't a good friend either. When you don't love yourself, you're not going right. to invest in yourself to be a better person more, more so than you can when you actually do the work to look inward. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. Let's figure out what I'm doing to make right. the world a better place, to be more inclusive and loving yeah. and giving. Um, the thing I think too, though, is if, if people have the ability to give themselves grace and oh, to yes. like, like if you had been able, because when we talked last week, when I said to you, like, I'm struggling because mm-hmm. part of me, okay, God. I feel like once I started looking at this, everyone around me was like, yeah, this happened to me or this yeah. happened. And I was like, yeah. what? But what yeah. I, when I messaged you, cause I, I was struggling and I just wondered if you were struggling. And one of my thoughts was there are no, there's no shortage of creepy family members. People are yeah. no less sexually deviant ever. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. part of my thing is, is people are still going to have these struggles because people yeah. are broken and, and mm-hmm. hurting other people. So I'm like, if we talk about it and even women can hear, oh my gosh, that's why I'm doing these things or, you know, oh my goodness, this is stemming from this brokenness, this, this thing that was ripped from me years ago or what have you, then there's, that's the reason for it. Why do we have to have these conversations? And then someone else said to me, every time they tell someone how they were sexually abused as a kid they take it out and they place it Mm -hmm. on the table and you take, they like, I would take part back with me and they would take back a little bit less. And that was something that I love too, is that when you unpack it, it, I feel like it brings you a little more healing, even knowing that some woman is going to hear this and be like, that's me, you know? And I just, I think the isolation part, like just kills me and how Mm -hmm. sexual trauma literally is like a soul imprint. You know, they know now that DNA is imprinted by trauma growing up and and trauma, even from your parents' trauma and things like that. But to know that the more you heal it, the less trauma gets passed on to your kids. Right. And so um, what danger do you see in keeping secrets? What would you want to tell somebody who right now is like, maybe they're 50 and you know, like they still have this secret or maybe they're 22. Um, what would you tell them about the danger of keeping secrets? So the one area that I didn't think about until most recently was the fact that you can talk about shame and the effects of shame without divulging details of your trauma, right. because, you know, it's not always safe to divulge all those details. And there's, there's, you know, that was a catalyst. Bible camp was a catalyst, but I had other equally pivotal times in my life where I dealt with shame again not and and the problem is when you have a shame when you have shame surrounding a secret most likely you have other people's secrets that you're holding as well so you're very you have to be careful what you share right but you can still share the impacts the way for me it affected my intimacy it affected my relationships it it affected my ability to connect with others to speak out loud 
about things I was passionate about. That that allowed like completely stopped me from being able to live authentically in who I was as a person. Right. So if you if you have one person that you feel safe to share it to, and that's why I started writing too. I probably filled up 40 journals, honestly, because I I could at least write about it. Right. I didn't necessarily need to share it, but I could write about it. It's interesting the protecting of the other people, like something I've been thinking yeah. about in a lot of these stories and in a lot of people that just end up telling me um, their story is there are so many people that have to see their abuser at Christmas at right. a holiday. And yeah. that like, it, I think the, the woman in me in the year 2021, like I get, I think this is also a really new topic for me, but I feel full of rage. Like yeah. I, I literally, like, yeah. I, I know there's gotta be a spirit of forgiveness. And, and obviously this isn't, I have not been abused. This is not my story, but like for how fiercely I love women just in right. general, like I don't, um, in, I don't struggle with jealousy. I just like, it's like a gift. I love people so stinking much that I yeah. want to rip their uncle's head off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I, I struggle right now, um, recognize like for myself being like, I just can't believe that you're abused and then you have to show up and see that person who, mm -hmm. you know, and see them not in jail, even like right. the, the number of people that I literally saw a stat last week and it said of every 1000 um, sexual assaults, three people like are going to go to jail for that out of every right. 1000. And, you know, there's a whole other bunch of other stats in between, but it just makes me feel physically ill. And then even mm -hmm. physically ill for you that the director knew who that boy was. Yes. You know, yeah. like, but why wouldn't he want to seek justice for you? You know, after that all happened and I came back um, from camp and I came back to my hometown, I wasn't interested in, in talking about it or pursuing anything. I wanted to run away. So I did. I ran away to boarding school. And the problem with running away is your, your, your problems just go with you. So I struggled there as well. Um, and then I came, so it was a series of running. I ran, you can't outrun it though. You know, you can't outrun it. So part of me was my privacy. I did not want to talk about it. I did not want, um, you know, pe people in my high school to know about it. And it already was starting to be talked about because of course there was a, a, you know, people that knew about it when I came home. So it's not even that I didn't even give them a chance to return grace to me with how I was feeling or, or to comfort me or to, to, you know, to give me that level of compassion. I didn't even give them a chance. I was so scared about their reaction that I ran. And one thing I learned about uh, with shame is because there's a lot of talk about shame, vulnerability. Uh, I yeah. love Brene Brown. She talks about it all the time. And obviously she studies it. Um, but another key factor is vulnerability isn't going around telling everybody your secrets, right? You need to understand who is safe to share that with. And will they meet your trauma with compassion and empathy? Because yeah. that, that's needed, right? And the other part, the other question, and I heard her say this on a podcast, was how she gauges that um, and why I'm able to talk about this particular, um, the rape at camp, is because I already 
I already talked about it outwardly before, maybe not with a lot of people, like like my 12 readers, but um, on my (laughs) blog, (laughs) but she said, if her, if the reaction, if you have something to share, and if the reaction, if your healing is dependent on that person's reaction, it's not safe to share it. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. But we can talk about shame without without going into details, like, while you haven't, you might not relate in the same way to, to rape, I'm sure you have things in, in your life and in your, in your mothering or you as a woman, where you've dealt with shame in your own respect. Yeah. Or that you didn't want to talk about, you didn't know how to talk about, I mean, you're pretty open. So maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think, I think I've always like had this real sense of like the devil. I, it's so funny because I, I say stuff to, and people just like stare at me, like, like this weird lady. Um, but it's because I just, I feel like I've always had this discernment where I feel like the forces and I will not step back. Like I will not step down. And so I think, um, but yes, I have definitely felt um, those moments. And, and when, when those feelings come, I actually was trying to work through it a few years ago with a coach. And I said, I, she was like trying to help me, you know, she was like, I feel like that's a shame spot that you're feeling. And so in turn, I said to the girl, I'm experiencing shame right now. <laughs> like to the girl who was like, I felt like giving me the shame. And I was like, I am, I'm feeling like you are shaming me right now. And so what I want you to know is that I do not accept this. And it was so funny. Cause then my coach was like, I didn't really mean for you to tell her. I meant more <laughs> like, and what I basically did was I shamed her back. Like I was like, I do not take your shame. I am not, I just want you to know I'm, I'm feeling that, but I'm, I'm not taking it. And it was really funny. And she's like, I think you actually shamed her back when you, I was like, so funny. Um, but no, I think that I just, I I'm a fierce advocate for people. And so that's Mm. where, um, but I do agree with you with what you said about sharing it where it's, um, where it's, uh, safe. What advice do you have for someone who has shared with someone that is unsafe? And now if they're like, that was my one chance, you know, I can't say anything now. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I had to learn how to trust my instincts and Mm. your spirit will tell you it will but you have to learn how to trust yourself. So for me, whenever I went astray from that, my gut knew, my my inner knowing knew what was safe, who was safe. And, and it really comes with earning trust. So you don't just give it, right? You develop these relationships and then you just know, like whenever you have shared something prolific with a good friend or you know someone in your family, a family member who's safe, you just, doesn't your gut just tell you? Yep. You know, it does. And I have ignored that more times than I can tell you. And that's, again, back to boundaries. um, Because I, you know, a a big part of the way I was raised is to be ever so loving, right? Love thy neighbor, turn the other cheek. You know, what I want to talk to my daughter about is boundaries more so than loving, right? Because that's very important. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, And loving yourself too, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So something that you mentioned was that this trauma kept you from living authentically out loud. Can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I was just, I lived internally and and that was a big part of why I gained so much weight and why writing was so important to me. I just had a hard time. Yeah. I had a a hard time sharing out loud because you feel 
this sense of unworthiness, there's also um, this fear of what will other people think of me. Right. So it took me a very long time to be confident in my words. And I still rather write. I still would have rather um, submitted a manuscript to you and you could have just read it over <laughs> instead of talk out loud. I was That's like, oh so God. Funny. And, and video? You, yeah, and yeah. video, because you're so vivacious. Like you're just like fun and sparkly. And it's it's so funny because you are a fantastic photographer and you took my picture and told me how to look skinny. <laughs> and I always tell people, <laughs> this is how you look skinny. You pop your hip away from the camera. Yeah. Like I always think of what you said. And it's but really again, funny. I, I took your picture. I didn't get my picture taken. Yeah. I'm much more comfortable. That's the other part of photography allows you to look at the world with, through a different lens or your own lens without having it turned on you. So photography is actually something a lot of introverts do. That's interesting. Like to hide. Yeah. I just think if we could, if we could all wear our struggles or what's, you know, what, what's happened to us or mm -hmm. what we've experienced as like a sandwich board. Yeah. All, all of a sudden, <laughs> like that's, that's one of my things that I always think about because yeah. when you talk about women, you know, hurting women, one of the big things I think about is if yeah. we could see what everyone's struggling with on their sandwich board, if your sandwich board was like, I gained a hundred pounds because I have yeah. some serious trauma and I don't love myself anymore, Yeah, you know, or yeah. Um, I'm, I'm jealous of you because my life feels so hard right now that I don't know how to be your friend now because of that. And I feel like yeah. if only we were more open about what we're struggling with, something I work on with my staff um, and my teams, because I have, I mostly only employ women, which is like so funny, but I just love them. <laughs> but I, I do, I like, I love them so much, but what I always say is if you're having a rough day, if you had a fight with your spouse, if you wake up and you're just on the wrong side of the bed, tell your team that, Hey guys, mm -hmm. it's not you today. I just want you to know I'm yes. struggling. It lets yeah. them a support you B it also creates a space for generosity. Like, Oh, you know what? Christine's having a really bad day today. I'm going to help her with this client. I'm going to do this thing. And it, it just fosters something so beautiful, but so often so many women are living in silence with all sorts of struggles. Right. And yeah. so even the, right now, like the heaviness of society or the anxiety people are feeling, I, I said to someone last week, I feel like I need an antidepressant. And they're like, you are the antidepressant. How is that possible? <laughs> and I said, I know Jones is sad, but it's, there's yeah. so, there's so much heaviness. Right. And so well, you got to protect your peace. Totally. And you got to find ways to protect your peace because it's yeah. different for everybody. And that's like boundaries. So can I ask yeah. what you have worked to teach your daughter? Oh my goodness. So is that a big question. Oh, it's, a, it's, I could have a, an hour on that. So the only time I could say out loud with definitive, with a definitive voice that I was raped was when my daughter was the same age as I was when I went to camp and I understood just how vulnerable and precious and, and a young lady not equipped at all to understand those things. Right. And I looked at it with a very different lens. Um, but what I try to teach my daughter beyond boundaries is how to, um, because the other part of it, and this is the hard part, because I lost the 100 pounds, but then I went into, um, I went into personal training. And that whole health diet industry is also kind of gross. Yeah, you know, it's, it's also, yeah. it can be steeped in 
unworthiness and needing to look a certain way yeah. and you know you, your measure is on what you weigh the size of your body um, yeah. so it was hard I always grappled with that I went what is she seeing like she saw she saw me she never saw me as 100 pounds overweight because I had uh, started doing that process when I was pregnant with her um, so she only ever knew me as this person but I'd never wanted her to feel um, uncomfortable in her own skin Right. Because we're all made so differently. Like yeah. Yeah. it's not just one body, right? Yeah. It's so how can I empower her to feel um, her best, just be herself, to be authentic? And we talk a lot about how this high school phase seems like it's forever. Like yeah. it's the most important thing. Yeah. And for her, it's COVID. So she's got high school at COVID time. That's not fun either. But I said, exactly who you are, the things you find funny, the things you find interesting. In your life, you're just going to attract those people like a magnet. Like yeah. this time is so short. It seems like a long, it seems like everything. And I don't want to make you feel like your feelings aren't valid. Right. But there is a whole life. There's a whole beautiful life ahead of you. So, and, and the other thing I tell her is to um, really work on honing on what she is passionate about, what she loves to do, what she likes to talk about. Because if you can find something that you want to do, beyond taking care of other people because I really did just devote myself to to just caring for my kids um, and my partner so you still need you still have to build that sense of identity and it starts with do I feel worthy do I feel good enough you know we work a lot on that and, I, and really we don't really I'm not talking to her like a you know after school special we just kind of have organic conversations about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Makes me think of like Full House when like the yeah, violin no. music comes on. It's not like that at all. I think of the girls that have had this happen, any sort of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional. I think about the decisions they make out of that feeling of like not enough, not good enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough. Um, because I didn't have that happen and I still made choices like thinking and playing super small. So in you yeah. teaching her, you know, about her uniqueness and to love herself and um, something, if I don't have daughters, but one of my things is like, your whole life shouldn't be about getting a boy to like you. Like, oh, you know, they, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Like our, and I, I feel like it's also in, in our nature because of the bill, the desire to reproduce. Like that's just sort of how right. we're created yet at the same. Yeah. At the same time though, I'm like, if girls could capture at a young age, the desire to like, not think about like, to think like, what do I want? Not like, yeah. who does he want me to be? What yeah. should I, you know, like, yeah. oh, the confidence also would be so off the charts, attractive to everybody because it's so yeah. rare. Um, but that's my concern is, is girls, stuff happens in our lives for everybody, yeah. whether someone, your parent dies or what have you. Um, and when we make these decisions at an age where we don't love ourselves enough and we don't yeah. have enough self-respect and we don't um, believe in ourselves. And I think it's just really crushing. And so I think teaching her to love herself for her own uniqueness and even mm -hmm. that the, the right things will be like magnets to her when she's like living yeah. wholeheartedly. Right. I also don't want her to know because we exalt, uh, you know, within a mother. Let's, let's talk about mothers. We exalt, oh, she's so selfless. Oh, what gosh. a selfless mother, right? Yeah. And uh, 
I hate that. That's hard too. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and the generations before us were praised for that. You were praised exactly. on your yeah. selflessness and then, yeah. right. And I'm sure there are people that look at me and are like, does she ever spend time with her kids? Like, what is she, how has she been doing what she's doing? Right. And I'm, I'm very intentional and no, I don't have the, the stuff that I wish I had was where my kids are doing homework at the table after school. Cause no, I'm not here. Mm-hmm. I'm at the office still. And so there's definitely yeah. stuff I miss, but that's a trade-off. And they're also yeah. going to see a mom who is running offices doing, you know, right. like exactly. doing a lot of, the, of this stuff. And so it's like, they're going to have a different outlook on women and mm-hmm. the strength of women. And I won't back down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, yeah. but, but yeah, there's definitely stuff I miss out on, but everything in life's a trade-off. Mm-hmm. Right. Like everything I think cause my daughter is very intro. She's very introverted as well. So I get her. So when she's like, I want, we want to have a, like a family dinner when I get home, when I come, you know, work and then I come home, make the supper. And yeah. if she sometimes doesn't want to come down and she needs her space, I honor it. It's okay. Just let her chill. Yeah. You know, even when we go to big family functions and stuff and all of a sudden she like kind of disappears, you know, just retreats, you know, <laughs> like where Tessa, we all know though, like her cousins know, uh, she just needs her her time and that's okay because that's that's the other part is not having this up imposed you have to believe this yeah. forced politeness that's the other thing that um I, and I'm not discrediting my mom for how she raised me because I'm glad to be polite but it was almost forced politeness like well you can't say that if someone's in your space you absolutely can say I am not okay with you in my space I'm not yeah. okay with how you talk to me you know but we I was always raised to be very polite and turn yeah. the other cheek so it, it kept me held me back from um, using my voice in that way to put up my own boundaries. I think that's so cool. I had, um, when I was little, it's actually funny because I love to kiss people on the lips. I know it's super <laughs> weird. Um, it's coming in my, va- people will have heard it in my Valentine's Day episode where I talk about, I'm like, I'm like the girl, like the kissing cousins. That's like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was little, I remember hiding under a table because I had two uncles. One would always pinch my bum and they were like cousins, mm-hmm. husbands. Right. Like they weren't like uncle uncles, but um, they were very, family was everything. Right. And they were very important. And, and they, they were not bad men. Like truthfully, they were not bad men, but even as like a five-year-old, the fact that I would hide under the table because I didn't want him to pinch my bum. Right. Like that, when I think about it now, I'm like, oh, those men like would be horrified, you know, to know that that was them being like fun and whatever, but it wasn't fun for me. And I remember my mom not making my sister kiss people. I think, I think that's how I remember it. And, and my sister too, like, or else she did kiss people. I don't know. I was like, everyone kiss me. I love it. Just don't pinch my butt. But my sister, (laughs) but it's all about whatever your boundary is. Right. And I remember. Yeah. 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 No. And like now, if my kids don't want to hug somebody, we're always like, oh, give them a pound, give them a high five or whatever. Like when you say goodbye, but like back in the eighties, like you just did what you were told. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people are abused out of the feeling of someone is an authority figure. This is a Mm -hmm. relative. And that's how it starts is they have a, they have authority. And so I think teaching kids that even if they have authority, you are in charge of you. And if something doesn't, doesn't feel right, you know, like, and now I'm all frantic to teach my kids stuff. So I feel like I say weird stuff all the time. Like if anyone ever asked you to take your pants off, you don't listen, right? They're like, what? Okay. Like, just like dropping <laughs> things all the time. Um, right. And so, but my whole thing is that if like teens and kids, they need brave grownups. 
Yes. Right. Absolutely. Like they need brave yeah. grownups who are willing to say like, this was my first experience with sex. Mm -hmm. This was what happened to me. I didn't like to kiss the relatives. So you don't have right. to, um, if you want to leave the room because it's been too much and you want to go hang out by yourself, go ahead. Yeah. And I think in us giving them the freedom to live out with how they feel safe. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, yeah. you think about it when they're young and you're just like, I remember pinching my kids under the table at Ikea. Yeah. because they had just learned the term ball sack and they were talking about their ball sacks. And I was so embarrassed. Yeah. I remember pinching them under the table, but I think yeah. of those, I think of those things. I don't know why I said that now. I feel like <laughs> I think, I think about those moments oh, where, where you want your kids to behave a certain way, because that represents mm -hmm. like, I mean, in that moment they did, they probably needed a pinch. They didn't right. need to shout out ball sack, but, but it's um, a reflection on you as a mother you're feeling, right? Exactly. And, and, and just my desire to shut them up because they're embarrassing mm -hmm. me. Right? right. And yes, they shouldn't be shouting that out. But what you can see is that like fire inside you when you're embarrassed of what yeah. they're doing and how they're behaving. And so I do think the next generations have come further, you know, in mm -hmm. creating a safe place for our kids. Um, but I definitely think we need to think about it. We need to think intentionally yeah. about um, our kids as people. Something else um, that I've been thinking a lot about is teaching our kids what consent means, mm. um, teaching boys what consent yeah. means. Yeah. And um, they're taught that in school now, by the way. We can are? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I did not know. At least that. my boys knew, my boys had come home and talked to me before I ever broached that subject. And how old are your like, boys uh, now? Well, they're old, like, tw well, not in high school anymore. 23 and 19. Okay. My son is 19 next so week. They, so they, so they would have learned that though, like in the last Yeah, like years. it's, it's a very different verbiage in school than we ever had. Like, absolutely. It's come a long way with teaching about yes, consent. But that's all these things you're always like, it sounds crazy. Right. You know, like we stopped at, to have a fire pit when someone had just told us to go up the road five kilometers. You know, right. like it always sounds crazy. And I think that's where women mm -hmm. need to let themselves off the hook. Yes, it sounds crazy. You're not crazy just right. because it doesn't make sense. Because lots of things in life, you'd be like, that didn't make sense. I don't know why I went there. Why did I listen to that man? Why did I get in that car? Th this stuff defies logic. But I promise you, though, if you actually listen to your gut, more often than not, it'll tell you what is okay for you and what isn't. If you're learning to listen. Yeah, you have to, and it took me, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how long it took me to listen to my instincts again. I think I was, I finally started to like explore why I couldn't, you know, understand what my instincts were telling me at about 40. And I'm turning, I don't know, I'm 44 right now. So it took, it wasn't until 40 years old that I thought, I am not honoring what my spirit's telling me. I'm not, I'm not, I can see that in my actions. I can see it in certain choices that I made. I'm not honoring what is right for me. And so the other part was tuning out. So I immediately, the first thing I did was I just got off of Instagram because on my Instagram, you know, all those fit, fitspiration and, yeah. um, you know, all the, the sharing of the, the fad diets and all that, Yeah, all of it was also contributing to me thinking, oh, I need to Oh my gosh, look at the wrinkles. Uh, oh, right. you know, you need to, you need to, I mean, I can't dress like a 20 year old, but I can't dress like a 80 year old. So where do I fit in, in yeah. how to, you know, how to reclaim myself as a woman, but I had to uh, learn how to tune 
that out so I could actually hear my voice, hear what my thoughts were, not point. on what, yeah, what society or what the newest trend um, is. And I think that's why it's so triggering for me. I understand um, people love to talk about keto and people love to talk about whatever diet they're pursuing or whatever new thing they're doing. And that's cool. But for me, it has to be my why. Yeah. What is my why? Because if my why to go on keto is because I absolutely desperately need to lose 30 pounds before summer right? Or I just can't even look at myself in the and mirror. And that's not a healthy, ex- right? Like it's, it's not a healthy exploration. You know, you have yeah. to look at your why, why am I doing these things? Why? Well, and critical and that's thinking. what health and fitness was. Yeah. Yes. And, and critical thinking, like, um, in those moments, being able to step back, I always say like hover above yourself, like a drone and, yeah. and recognize, but people, I think the more people stop and think, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, then all of a sudden you start to see it differently. And that's where intuitive eating, if you can't figure out what your body needs, because that's listening, listening to what your body needs, honoring what your body needs, and also when to stop, Yeah. right? Like my body's like, you know- That's exactly what I had to learn. Totally. Yeah. When when am I actually done? And you're so right. We, We go along for so many years doing what we think other people want us to do what we think we're supposed to do that we we don't listen to ourselves and as someone who also you know i i am a christian and for me with the new craze with meditation i imagine most people are i think like breathing in really deep <laughs> i you can tell me if i'm wrong um but one of the things i do is i set a timer because i can't do it for very long I think mm-hmm. I'm at six minutes right now, but I set a timer. I have my palms open and I'm like, okay, God speak to me. And then every time I like get thinking about like my laundry, my to-do list, my whatever, I take those deep breaths that I imagine all the other people meditating take, I take these really deep breaths. Mm-hmm. And then I'm always like, your servant is here and your servant is listening. God, please speak to me. And what I've noticed is in doing that, it's created a willingness in my spirit to listen. And what I've noticed with that is like, even how something in me was like, don't do this podcast. No one wants to listen to you talk about shame. No one wants to listen to a story about sexual abuse or rape. But then right. there's this other sense in me that's like, you don't listen to that, Jody, And it's stronger, but I have to be listening. And that's where I always say, it's just the devil trying to be like, mm, this is probably good for the world. You probably shouldn't put it out there. You know what I mean? But learning the difference in those, like those, those pulls and those voices and I think that's where that's like your, your spirit inside you. Like you said, knowing, you know, what you need to do for yourself and teaching that to our kids. And I think that's just so, so, so important because the world's always going to be crazy. It's not. Yeah. And then that's just it. It's, you're never going to get rid of that. Like, you know, there's two kind of root emotions to everything and it's love or fear. And a lot of the hatred and hate and anger and um, grossness in the world has come from the stems of fear. I always say before, actually, before I drive to work, my form of meditation on the way in is I say, show me what I need to learn and show me what I need to know, because they're two separate things. Show me what I need to learn is kind of tapping into that intuition of I don't know what I need to know next. I don't know what to need to learn yet. And those things will come to you. If you put it out there, if you say, this is, I am willing. And I, I want you to teach me. I want the world to show me what I need to learn. It will come to you. It'll come to you so much that it'll freak you out. Yeah. And then show me what I need to know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Show me what I need to know is very different 
what I need to know is what those truths that's true for me. So, well, for you, meditation just doesn't really make sense for a lot of other people that is their their healing place that is totally. where they can find solitude you right yeah and but I have to say if that came across wrong that's not what I mean oh no I, it didn't okay. it didn't everyone's think, just so different well and that's where I think it was more that it for me it felt like almost like an act of submission to myself and to God like I'm here and I don't want it to just be my voice all the time being like hey dad this is what I want this is what I need yeah please convict me because then I'm some kind of a cow like do you know what I mean I wanted it to be some a spot for to say like I'm gonna shut up and bless everybody. I'm going to shut up <laughs> and I'm going to listen, but I, I do like, and I think it's so cool. Cause you're right. So much, so much more happens than we ever knew we needed in those moments. Mm-hmm. Right. And- well, and that, that was the big healing for me when I went, cause I had, you know, there's different pivotal times in your life where you're like, okay, I, I can see because this happened, this happened, and then this happened and then this happened. And, um, you know, I read this other quote and again, it's from Oprah. Um, Love her. She said, yeah. And I, I don't know why it's been coming up for me more recently, but she said, forgiveness is letting go of the idea that the past could have ever been different. And that I'd never thought of it that way. Like, because with being able to forgive, because you look back and you're like, oh, if I didn't, if I hadn't gone down that path, if I hadn't gone to that beach, what would my life, how would my life have been different? You know? And I had all these pivotal moments that happened in my life where I could see a clear direction I went. But I believe now that I'm where I am now, that that was my journey, that was my path. You know, like maybe I was meant to go through all of those different things so that I can talk about it, so that I can be a source of of connection for someone else who's equally going through things. Because there was, you know, like in the topic of divorce, I never understood divorce until I went through it. Right. I thought I did. I thought I knew all about like, just, you know, just on, on paper, what right. it would be like, or what it, you know, what people would go through. But when I went through it, oh my gosh, I went, through, I ate so much humble pie, so much humble pie, because I realized the judgments I had cast on others, I found yeah. myself in that place. And it was, it was, uh, I had a lot of awakening with that. And I found a lot of love out of it. Just love for myself, love for others, yeah. um, understanding, compassion. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I started doing a lot of healing at that time in my life for sure. The one thing I always will say though, is I feel like, you know, when you meet someone and they have like an extra, like the people who've done the work to heal themselves and to um, work through stuff, there is like an extra sparkle an extra resilience and, and you have that, you have that like flowing out of you, oh, that joy, you. that love, um, that peace you do. And, um, you're someone that I'm, I feel since I first met you, I was just like drawn to you and I would get so excited when I would see you out running or like, I would see you, you know, by, <laughs> by the kids school. And I can even picture some of those times. I can picture every time I ran into you too. I used it's to think so I could just put if I could just put Jody in a snow globe, I would just like keep her on my counter and I would just like <laughs> shake the shit out of her when I was sad. <laughs> you just oh my gosh, that's so funny. Oh, yeah. that's really what funny. People will, but that's the thing. People will, will remember about you is how you made them feel. 
because right. we're all supposed to inherently selfish, right? When you find someone that makes you feel good about yourself, yeah, and that's part of being able to share with another person in an empathetic right. and compassionate way that you make the other person feel heard and understood. And it's not a placating way. It's a, I get you, I see you, I understand yeah. you, and I love you. My favorite thing is to see people for who they really are mm. and love them, whether they think you should love them or not. Right. You know, um, but what I was going to say is that you, there's something in that you can almost, I can't put words to it. Like I'm having trouble to like put words to it, but I'll meet someone and it's like, you can just tell there's a really big story there. And that's yeah. why they sparkle. Like that's why. Um, and I think it's that the resilience that that creates. And like you said about eating the humble pie after divorce, that, that when the more humble, the more people live in humility, um, mm -hmm. you just, you can't not be changed. Like you're just forever no. changed by it and yeah. you love better. You yes, live, sure. you live more full out, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's where the, the, the people with the hardest stories are the best people. Yeah, and it's I right. I think so too. Yeah. And, and, um, one of the girls that I'm going to, um, I never know how to say this. Cause I don't think I'm going to say who she is. There's a girl I know. Yeah. And I literally, I'm, she's going to be on this podcast in one of the next months, but I met her, had no idea why I felt the way I felt, but I was like, I, I'm here to love this girl. I'm just going to love the crap out of this girl. And, and it's so mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so that's where I feel like those moments where I'm like, that's totally God. That's not me. Like, I don't just think that about every person. I mean, it's like the store right. or, you know what I mean? That comes into my life. I don't think that. And I had no idea that she was abused for years mm -hmm. and had right. all these, these layers of things. And yet she was such a young girl. I think when I met her, she was like 23 and she had endured all these things. And I had no idea. I had no idea what was behind it, but I just knew I'm going to love the crap out of this mm -hmm. girl. And I do, I love her so much. And she's become such an important um, person that I just, I, I'm just so blown away by her. And something I said in the episode that aired with the lady from the human trafficking organization is there is nothing more powerful than a woman set on fire. Like, yeah, does that absolutely. just give you chills? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. makes me think of you, like you think of, of what you've come through and, and what you've endured and, and how you've risen and how you've taught this daughter, this stuff. And I know you have good boys. I know. Yeah, no, they're awesome. They're, they're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they I are. don't know them, but you can just yeah. tell even from seeing them. They're just obviously like just a, blast. you know what they're, you know, what is the best about them is they, all of my kids are so have fully embraced who they are as people. Yeah. Like they just feel confident yeah. to blurt stuff out of the, at the supper table. Like they don't really uh, edit themselves. And I love they don't edit themselves because I spent years editing myself yeah. trying to think of the most appropriate way to, you know, say something, which is why I'm not good with talking. That's I'm much so more, funny because you're, you're <laughs> overthinking. The, you're I overthink, overthink everything. Yeah. yeah. At least when I can write, I have time for those thoughts to come to my page and I can erase what I don't want actually put out there. Well, and, and it's funny even how I know that I heard a lot of different things because as a young girl, like 14-year-old Jody didn't edit herself either. It was very much the same as I am now with just a little less class, if you want to call me classy. <laughs> um, and I definitely had some comments from like teachers, parents, relatives yeah. that are like, if she could develop a filter, she'd be a really nice girl. Well, guess what? Right. Unfiltered is literally my superpower. 
Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, so don't yeah. take that away from this girl because that's what I'm going to yeah. use to help other people unfilter themselves. But it's interesting yeah. how much the world's like, this isn't really the good girl too much. we hope to yeah. be. Yeah. Too yeah. much. Someone said last You're week. You're too much. Yeah. You're too much. Someone said yeah, last week. Yeah. But it's not, what, how is that too much? Like we're, we can all be too much. Like I, I feel very deeply. I just feel deeply. I always have very empathetic. Yeah. And that right there is a the thing that helps me in my everyday, in my yes. career, in parenting. But for a long time, I tried to, ooh. You know, well, and that's, it's almost like kind of look at who you are at your core. And then instead of trying to shave it off, like if, if you were 20 years old, right? Instead of trying to like, like shave off some of your rough edges, right? But like right. still really embrace that core person of who you are. Like I was the four-year-old who would chat your ear off at the grocery store. Are you surprised? Yeah. I am now yeah. the 38 year old who will chat your ear off at the grocery store behind my mask. And you don't even know what I'm saying. Like, right. do you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the most important thing is, is that like giving you living freely gives your kids the freedom to live that way. Yeah. Right. And um, me being unfiltered gives someone else the freedom to be unfiltered. And, you know, and so I think it's that sad as it is, we seem to need the permissions of others. And, oh, and that, and that is the root in the other part of the root of shame is that we're so worried about what other people think. It's actually not what other people think. It's what you think about yourself. Cause you're in, yeah. you're in turn and projecting, oh, they're going to think this, but that's actually, you have no idea what they're going to think and what they think is actually none of your business anyways. Exactly. It's actually what you think, <laughs> right? Exactly. What is it? Other people's opinions of you are none of your business. That's what yeah, exactly. says. Yep. Yeah. I think in learning to embrace this and I just thank you for sharing your secret with us. And I just want to hug you in general, but also hug, <laughs> hug Christine back way back yeah. when. And I just, Oh, I do too. I know. Yeah. The, the, I wish the, I had some compassion for her. I know. And just to picture her being so alone, like breaks mm -hmm. my heart. And, um, and interestingly, something I feel like it keeps coming up in my head. So I have to say it before we, before we finish. Um, I think of the two moments that I can see the shame in the other people in your story is the camp director. And this is just what shame does. Shame casts more shame. The right. camp director being like, we might not be able to have camp again because of what happened last night. I think right. of the guy dropping you off. You can walk back yeah. in that yeah. moment. He knew he'd raped you. He knew yes, he had, he had done something against your will. And yes. you know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah. you can just see though, what that does. And I just, I don't know, there's something in me for whatever reason it is that I was like, I got to, I want to point that out because it's like yeah. us learning to recognize much like me inappropriately a few years ago, learning to recognize when someone is putting shame on me. Right. As much as it was kind of immature and um, I was just a baby in my ability to process it. I think it's important to be like, Whoa, that's a shame moment. Like this person yeah. is putting something here doesn't belong here and it's out of their own insecurity he obviously right. felt he couldn't protect you as the camp director he, right. should, he Absolutely. should not have let you go in their vehicle he you mm -hmm. know like there's so many things that you can see in that moment that he would have done but what he should have said was like christine i'm sorry yeah christine i'm sorry that we didn't that i didn't drive you home i'm and and yeah. it's, that's the other thing is teaching our kids to say sorry when it's the most hard to say I'm learning that with my kids, how to say sorry and how to tell them I, you know, and it was, do you remember the moment when you realized your parents were just like people 
Yes. <laughs> you're just like, actually, oh, I do know what they're doing. Uh, what? You like are actually just the person, like a regular <laughs> person. Um, and I, I try to tell my kids when I screw up, it's hard for me. And that's the other part. It's hard for me to say, I, I am deeply sorry. I am here. I screwed up. And I'm learning to the, the more I lean into living authentically, the more I feel comfortable with having those conversations with my kids. And I think it's really important. I think it's important everywhere. Like I think, yeah. I think people, and I don't mean like Canadian, sorry. Like when I bumped yeah. my purse into- yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. But I think that really asking yourself that because I think a lot of people live with a spirit of unforgiveness. And yeah. I think a lot of, and if I always say to people, you watch for the times you chose to do the wrong thing. And now you need to say, sorry, you mm-hmm. feel so driven to go the other way. Like you get pulled over. I love to speed. It's like my favorite. I do not like to drive slow ever. Um, and I've been pulled over so many times and you like, can't bring yourself to say sorry because you knew you were doing mm-hmm. that on purpose. And it's right. like, that's the, the true measure I feel like of integrity is learning to say sorry when you know you made that choice. Yeah. And that makes it even harder. So that's like in saying mm-hmm. to my son, yes, when you punched your brother in the head, you knew exactly what you were doing. And, and that it, it, it's like that, that knowing that you did it on purpose adds an extra level of silence and shame, like mm-hmm. in you as the abuser. There's like right. a, I did that on purpose. It's like when you do, you say the same thing to your mom 18 times and she's like, stop having, stop. What is it? Stuff your stories in a sack. Or my, <laughs> my friend, Teresa, who's like my, my co-manager, she's always yeah. like, stop doing things to be, I'm sorry for, but you think of those right. moments like as a mom where it's like, it's even worse as a teen when you're like, I've done this so many times and now they take yeah. my door off the hinges because I keep slamming it. But I knew I was slamming it and I did it anyway because right. it felt so much better than doing what I was supposed to, right? So I think that's the true measure of a person is like saying sorry when you did it on purpose. And especially speaking with intention. Yeah. Like there's, and I think when I do say sorry, my family know if I'm saying sorry, <laughs> like I, I really need, like it's very intentional. Because I don't throw them out. Place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I am sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's that's that's amazing. So yeah, is there anything else you wanted to leave us with? I don't think so. I think we've unpacked a lot of things to think about. Um, I think I the only thing I would want to say um, that has helped me whenever I've been going through something that's incredibly hard to share or, or I've felt trauma in my life as I wanted that person, when I was sharing it with them, all I wanted them to say was not what happened. I didn't necessarily want to answer questions about the details. I really just wanted them to say, I'm sorry, I'm here for you, whatever you need, your timing, you can share what you wish, or I can just sit with you, but I'm here for you. That's really good advice because I think even in these books that I'm listening to, what I notice really fast with, without poor intentions is that, and that's where silence and hugging you and telling you they're here for you and whatever you're yeah. right is a hundred percent because it's like, just be quiet first Yeah. because all the questions that people ask and, and it, I'm starting to notice it and it's good that I'm cringing when I'm listening to these books or reading these books. Um, but yeah, a lot of those questions totally unintentionally keep more shame 
more yeah. blame, more trauma onto a victim. Yeah. Right. And I think what you said is true. Like if it, for people who don't want to tell their details, they can still step away from that shame by sharing, talking about their shame, talking about how it makes them feel, um, you know, and then, do you know how huge that is, Jody? just that, cause I never dawned on me that I could share other, other experiences I've had, which had such profound, shameful impacts on my life. It never occurred to me until you and I were messaging about shame that I could share the impacts of that without sharing details. It never dawned on me. And then like right there, you're like, that's why we had to have this conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it was hugely impactful to, to my life in just in the short time since we've talked. And I'm very grateful for you reaching out to me because I can't imagine it was that easy for you to say, Oh, I'm just going to message this girl about shame. You're really all sweating and, you know, yeah. pacing. Cause that's, it's hard. It's hard to put yourself out there and to think, well, I don't want to offend someone. I don't want to overstep, but you uh, approached it really beautifully and you really made me think about it. And it's been a freeing experience just to unpack all of this stuff again, not in a traumatizing way. I, I found it so yeah. empowering to connect with other. And like you said, just ha having conversations allows another person to say in their timing. And of course people do trust, you know, you have a very uh, trusting spirit. Like I know I'm safe when I talk with you. Oh, so God. you give that to, that's a gift to give to another person. So when they offer it to you, it'll be in the right timing and what they want to share but the fact that you're just there and you really just want to understand them, what more do you like? That is the human connect condition that we just want to be understood. Oh, and, and to be understood and then loved. Yeah. Like loved, supported, loved. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and loved without, um, I don't know what the word is without just, condition? just for who you are. Yeah. Without yeah. condition, like just, yeah. just loved. And, um, mm -hmm. no, and I think it's, I, th I just think this stuff, it obviously matters, you yeah. know, and, and, and the whole thing too, is that we see right now, there's this cancel culture and learning that when you are confused or uncomfortable about any situation, you should get in proximity with that person who's going through that mm -hmm. because you can't, well, I'm sure there are psychopaths out there. So I could be wrong. Still <laughs> follow your gut, uh, refer right. back to 20 minutes yeah. ago, follow yeah. your gut, but the thing is, is that if there's something you're struggling with, get in proximity with someone going through that. Because mm -hmm. typically in most human situations, you will realize you love that person, you know, yes. and, and back in the eighties and whatever, I had family members that were homosexual. So it was never weird mm -hmm. for me. It was yeah. like, we loved them and that was who they were. And, you know, like, but they were in, in proximity because the, the hardest thing, like once again, is that isolation. The more isolated you are from other people that are different from you, the more dangerous it is. Um, and the more, the smaller your worldview becomes, right? And so I think that, um, I think it's, it's so, such a gift though, that you were willing to share. And when people are willing to talk, um, that's everything. And that's the whole thing is like, someone will hear this somewhere and it will, it will help them whether it helps them see like, you know, what's happening right now that they're struggling with or how to talk to their daughter or what they want for their kids or bringing up with their boys, what does consent look like? You never know, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. I think it's just stepping into what we're called to and then just letting the ripple effect go from there. So thank yeah. you so You're much welcome. 
sharing. You're welcome. And um, yeah, I love your wisdom. I still can't believe that you don't really like talking. I would have taken you as like the same I do thing. not like talking. <laughs> no, I don't like talking at all. <laughs> I mean, I will talk. I will talk, but it has to be in a certain situation. Like I have to feel incredibly comfortable to be able to articulate my thoughts. But if you put me in a group, unless it's my group of girlfriends who are crazy anyways, I'm the loudest of the bunch. But if you put me in a, in a place where I don't feel secure, I feel a little bit intimidated or I just won't say a word. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you for blessing us today with all of your thoughts. It means so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As you can see, these conversations are not easy, but in the end, they bring healing and light and it is so necessary and it is what we absolutely need more of in this world. So I hope you would reach out to somebody if you know they have had trauma in their life, check in on them, tell them that you love them and that you're here for them. Please like this podcast, share it with a friend and rate and review. Have a great day.